used to be. There's Ted's with drain pipe trousers and dibs in coffee houses and things ain't what they used to be. There used to be trends. Alright, hello everybody and welcome along to another episode of the Mild Mannered Army podcast and what an episode it promises to be. Joined as I am this evening by uh, the one, the only, Lip Gloss Jill, podcaster who co-hosts Don't Point That Horror at Me with her uh, friend Becky Dark, where they take a slightly irreverent look back at the Point Horror books which so obsessed them when they were younger even than they are now. DJ? Uh, star-shaped, responsible uh, in her own words for playing bangers. Uh, she deserves great credit for not putting the word absolute before that. Uh, and also a style icon uh, and only recently took possession of what she herself has described as her dream jacket. Uh, I'm sure you can find a photograph of that online somewhere and Jill might even tweet it. And you can find Jill uh, not only at Don't Point That Horror At Me but also at Lip Gloss Jill. And as we can tell from her Twitter handle, that's right, I'm using Citizens Band Radio lingo. She is uh, a pulp fan. Good evening, Jill. Hello. Oh, what a lovely summary of all the facets of my character. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Jackets, pulp fiction, and bangers. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe you could get that printed on a t shirt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, so I, I, I think uh, we should explain that the reason we're chatting is it's the 25th anniversary uh, this year in fact just a few days ago of pulps uh, his and hers and i thought who better to speak to than you about that so i think the first thing that i would probably want to talk about is and it's not really doing things chronologically i guess but it's the my introduction to the world of pulp was uh, the single Lip Gloss, which I think was the first single that preceded the album. Yeah, I think that's right, sort of 1993. Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember picking it up and I, I bought that I'm not really sure why I bought it. I was in a record shop in Paisley. I have a funny feeling that I bought something by Elvis Costello for my dad on CD single. And then I saw in a display lip gloss with that incredible front cover with the ruby red lips shaped for sin and the very sort of phallic you know red lipstick beside it and it made my tummy flip a little bit and although at that stage I didn't really know why my tummy was flipping and I, I, I didn't know whether the band were called lip gloss and the song was called pulp or the song was called you know, or the songs, or they were called pulp, and the songs called lip gloss. I, I, I didn't know anything about them. So my question to you, I think, to kick things off is: Were you aware of pulp before his and hers, or did you arrive at the same time as I did? Well, truthfully, I arrived a bit later, um, around different class, because um, as people are quite fond of telling me, um, I'm too young for Britpop, apparently. <laughs> um, so when his and hers came out, I would have been six years old. <laughs> well thanks um, for joining me tonight Jill goodbye everybody <laughs> a lovely chat so I um, only sort of discovered pub after they'd you know made it so to speak um, and then it was a journey backwards um, to his and hers and lip gloss and all, all those sort of songs so so how old would you have been then when Different Class came out um, so yeah it's only a couple of years later um, so by Different Class came out in 95 and then 
by 96 I was like a really cool weird kid um into space like spies was like my favorite album <laughs> I had no mates at school um, so th- it sort of led on to discovering Britpop um and my mum um she, I, w- I worked it out last night actually she would have been mid-20s during Britpop so she always had you know Radio 1 on and we'd watch TFI Friday and um stuff like that so that's how I kind of got into it uh quite a tender age <laughs> let's say gosh that's that that is that is really young I, but, but then I'm thinking back to my own childhood and I, I guess I would have been into things that maybe other kids wouldn't have been into for similar reasons like my mum and dad were both very young when they they had me I think maybe 21 22 round about that um and so like you pop music and popular culture was a big part of it and it's, it's interesting you say that you didn't have any mates at school I wonder if there's something about having parents who are into those kinds of things that maybe matures you in a weird kind of way like yeah. not that you're some kind of precocious child genius but you know your <laughs> eye is on different things to some of your mates yeah I'd, yeah totally agree with that definitely so what was it about pulp then because I don't think it be unfair to say that they are if not your favorite band and certainly our favorite band oh no definitely they are my favorite band yeah 100 um, percent. right so why out of all the Britpop bands that people love and all the Britpop bands that people loathe what is it about pulp that puts them in that special place in your heart well I think out of all of the you know the big the, I always say there's the big four Britpop yeah. bands so pulp suede blair oasis um, I love them all, don't get me wrong, but I just feel like Pulp, they're just edgy for me because they've got kind of like the sexiness of Suede and the sort of down-to-earthness of Oasis and like the artiness of Blair all rolled into one sort of amazing band fronted by this amazing character that writes these filthy lyrics I'm not saying when I was 10 years old <laughs> and I got a um, different class that I completely understood every word <laughs> you know but, um, and it's seeing him on the Brits as well when he waved his bum at Jarvis didn't moon waved <laughs> waved his bum at Michael Jackson sorry it was just like you know one of them moments where you're like what the hell is this <laughs> it's not I've never seen anything like this before in my little life so yeah, they're just they're just number one for me for many reasons, which I'm sure we'll chat about. <laughs> yeah, I think we will, and I I think that's I'd never really thought about that before, Jill. I think you're right. That is a really interesting summary of what sort of makes pulp pulp. All those different elements that the other bands kind of touch or dance around, mm. and pulp kind of embody them perfectly. I I think you're particularly right about the. Well, it's, it's a weird thing when you talk about this, the sexiness of Suede, and Suede are a very sexy and sexual band, and yet pulp form of sex and sexuality and sexiness is very different, right? Yes. There's there's something a little bit more kind of kitchen sinky, something a little bit more Mike yeah. Lee about it. Um, yeah, that's interesting, and the art school thing, and the pop hooks of Blur. Yeah, I'd never thought about that before. They're like, they're like a sort of weird science Britpop band like you've kind of yeah. gone in a lab and <laughs> created the perfect Britpop band and, and there they are and of course they're, they're there right at the beginning of the story right I mean obviously they, they, they predate the story by what 14 15 years maybe even longer yeah, but yeah working away in the background they had a, a few John Peel sessions in the 80s 
so yeah they put the put the put the hours in definitely <laughs> they're there on that front cover that notorious infamous however you want to describe it select front cover yeah. as part of that yanks go home episode yeah so they're 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 an integral part of the whole story right okay well let's let's maybe turn our attention a little bit to the album itself um and i want to start from the outside in and think about that front cover that kind of airbrushed i mean it's a very peculiar image of the band on the front yeah. cover and yet it kind of embodies so much of them so can you see it from where you are are you able to look at a copy just now um i don't i actually do have an a3 poster of it but it's in my living room i'm currently <laughs> in my bedroom but i can i can i can see it actually on your Skype logo, what am I talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, of yeah. course you can, yeah. Right, <laughs> so uh, we, we, I, I have to do full disclosure now. My Skype sort of avatar, whatever people want to call these things, uh, is normally blank, but so that Jill could find me tonight, I thought, well, I'll put up the his and hers album as my thing. So if we go left to right then, as we're looking at it, you talk us through it, Jill. Who have we got? So we start on the left. Okay, on the left-hand side, we have Mr. Russell Senior, in an amazing sort of mustard coloured, um, like oversized single breasted jacket uh, with cheekbones that could cut you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's just the airbrushing. Um, <laughs> no, I, th- I think I think that's a mixture of poverty and possibly amphetamines. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then next we have the main man himself, uh, Mr. Jarvis Cocker, uh, with a, it looks like some kind of mac, which is a dirty mac, <laughs> 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 you know, with his collars turned off. Um, he, looks, he looks a bit like a sort of indie vampire. Yes. <laughs> like if you, made, if you made Twilight with a Britpop cast, Jarvis would be one of the main vampires. Yeah. 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent um, and he's uh, sort of embracing um steve mackey the bass player um who's you know g- giving like a sideways pout to the camera <laughs> and then we have the lovely candida doyle who's oh, my absolute love candida she's just I, do, I honestly think i know everyone talks about jarvis and he is obviously you know the linchpin but i don't think pulp would be such a special band if it wasn't for Candida and her influence. So, yeah, love her. Um, and she's got a lovely, uh, she's matching Russell. She's got a lovely uh, mustard vest top on, looking very cute. And then next we have Nick Banks, who is sporting, it looks like a... It's like a denim shirt, isn't it? Yeah. It might um, even be, it might even be double denim, Jill. Imagine the like. Well, he's a drummer, you know. <laughs> we'll let him off. <laughs> That's right, and, the, and it's it's interesting, you know, that even the even the colour palette there is really interesting, you know, um, with um, Russell and Candida and the yellow, and then there's slightly darker tones, and it's interesting as well that that Jarvis and Steve and Nick are kind of pushed to the background mm-hmm. behind these kind of brighter colours, and that I mean I'm going to be really pretentious now, but that kind of suggests to me something about the themes that go on in the album that there's this kind of brightness at the forefront whether it's the melodies or some of the clever funny lyrics that Jarvis has written but underneath it there are much darker tones to be found is that too pretentious I wouldn't say pretentious (laughs) 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 that's a very interesting point um yeah I agree did you know who actually 
uh, designed that sleeve. Now I did. I wrote something about this, but now his name's gone out of my head. You talk to me about that. Yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, as we mentioned, it was uh, airbrushed. So it was based off a photograph of the band, um, but it was airbrushed and sort of designed by a chap called Philip Castle, who right. um, most famously designed the uh, Clockwork Orange poster, that iconic. Uh, yeah, poster for Clockwork Orange with uh, Alex with the bowler hat in a similar sort of airbrush style. And um, he'd also designed the Aladdin Sane artwork as well. That's right. That's right. He did do that. Yeah. That, and it, that, I mean, I guess if you think about that Aladdin Sane front cover, um, Russell has a touch of that about him, right? Mm. You know, he's kind of almost, he doesn't look human. In a bit, a bit the same way that Bowie didn't look human on the on the front of Aladdin saying that's right yeah Philip Castle and it's interesting because both of those things are really you know sort of 1970s design classics yeah. and you, you can't escape the influence of the 70s on pulp I don't think no quite right and yeah the, the colour palette on this cover is very 70s as well you know there's browns and mustards that's right yeah, yeah. and yeah. that kind of sort of deep burnt orange dark brown trousers that Candy does wearing as well with that big belt buckle um it's all yeah I mean it's yeah it stinks of the 1970s it's uh yeah that's yeah that well that's that's great that's a really good place to start I think all right so we, we get into the album proper and the first track is Joyriders so uh, this is dedicated to those people they said that they were rioting they were actually playing Grand Theft Auto outdoors I wasn't rioting Anyway, this is dedicated to those guys and gals. It's called uh, Joyriders. Interesting, because whenever discussion of his and hers is going on online, primarily on Twitter, and especially over the last sort of week or so as people have been talking about it. There's a lot of love in the room for Joyriders, right? A lot of people talking about it being their favourite track. Yeah, well, it's, it's a killer opener. Um, it just opens with that sort of chord straight in. Um, yeah, it is actually one of my favourites. Um, it only became one of my favourites after I'd seen it live. I wasn't lucky enough, obviously, with my tender age to see uh, Pulp when they were around the first time. Um, so when they did the reunion tour from 2011, I was obviously made up beside myself. I finally got to see my favourite band. Um, and I saw them a couple of times, but they played Joyriders at Reading. And it was just, yeah, it was one of them moments where I was like, you know what, I didn't really listen to this song enough, but it's brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's a really amazing song. I mean, th- th- lyrically and thematically, it's, it's what we were saying earlier, you know, that there's some really dark stuff going on underneath the surface there, right? Yeah, so I, I feel like it's a good example of his sort of knack of taking something quite ordinary and, um, let's say, working class. Yeah. <laughs> and like his unique kind of social commentary and turning it into a witty story. But yeah, it's quite this, that lyric about... Um, taking the girl to the reservoir and it's like oh <laughs> well you know that that's funny i've written that down in my notes as well joe there's that thing about yeah taking the girl to the reservoir and there's a there's a hint that there's some kind of you know people say oh it's a tragedy all the papers say it's a tragedy mm. now the fact that the papers have picked up on it i don't think the tragedy is 
just that she's copped off with Brian from the local Tesco. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so what do you think it is that's happened? Has she drowned in the reservoir, this girl that's been picked up by these joyriders? Is there something worse than that has gone on? I don't know. If I, if maybe you're thinking about it, you know, I hadn't actually ever thought into specifics, but maybe there was like an accident or something because joyriders, to me, um, you know, they're just like stealing a car and driving it round. I don't think there's a deep level of malice. Um, so no. maybe they, you know, picked up this girl and there was some sort of accident or something like that. Well, it's interesting because that's the, that's one of the things Jarvis is great at, right? He paints these little vignettes, these little stories, these little bursts of life. Now, who knows where he's drawn it from, whether these are things that he's observed or things he's, you know, heard about or read about. But there's that wonderful line in the song where it says, so thick we can't think. Yeah. So I, think I think you're right. They're not, they're not malicious, these lads. Yeah. But and something then... has happened. <laughs> Yeah, one of my favourite lines in it is the one that follows that, where it says, um, oh, we like women, up the women we say, and if we get lucky, we might even meet someone. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that's brilliant. (laughs) Well, he's he's got, that's another terrific knack, and in some of my notes for some of the other tracks, we'll maybe come back to this idea, so you maybe don't want to get too deeply into it just now. But it does have a kind of brilliant knack of writing about men but also writing about men from the perspective of women and writing yeah. about women from the perspective of other women. He's, yeah. he's got a real ability to get into the heart of people, the, the soul yeah. of people, because um, that is exactly the kind of thing that boys who have never been anywhere near a woman would say, up the women. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, yeah. they're not talking about making love or having sex or <laughs> I don't know, going to bed and making each other roar. They're t- they're saying stupid things like, oh, you know, like what's his name, Jay from the In Betweeners. You know, oh yeah, you know, up the women. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah, I'm not so sure that you really know any women, mate. Um, <laughs> right, so it's a it's a great start, and then we get to the the song that we started with, which is lip gloss. Which is, I mean, that that must make it onto your list of Britpop bangers. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I've named my whole persona around it. Because <laughs> um, before Star Shaped, um, I did a little indie club club night um, in London, which was named Lip Gloss Club. So yeah, I completely ripped off the the artwork that we were chatting about before with the with the lips and the lipstick, and I just yeah. reversed it. So. Um, the lips around the other side and the lipstick <laughs> in case I got sued I'd be like no it's not the same one so yeah it's yeah definitely one of my all-time favorites and it always always goes down well when we play it at, at star shaped um it's just yeah amazing <laughs> I'm oh, going to be gushing quite a lot throughout this chat I have to that, say that's good we, we 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 don't we don't have any problem with that what is it though about lip gloss I mean that's a big thing right for a, a song and a band to have that kind of impact on a person's life and you've started your own club night and you make a go of that and it's built around that song and then you have this Twitter persona that, you know, I guess we're all 
personas on Twitter, right? None of us are really being honest all of the time anyway. I mean, maybe some people are. Hiya! But um, I wonder, what is it about that particular song that makes you so gushy? Um, Well, this connects very well to what you were just saying about um, how Jarvis writes um, very well from a female perspective. I think it's it's a real talent he has. Um, Not just this song, there's so many throughout Pope's career, but he's kind of tapping into are as women insecurities and um this one specifically um is like about the inevitability of an exciting relationship eventually fizzling out and she's lost her lip gloss or mojo um and the bloke's moved on to another woman and it's it's heartbreaking but it's such an upbeat song (laughs) with the synths and it's like what you were saying about the cover art where it's you know sparkly and shiny at the front with the the bright colours and then darker behind. That's right. The, the bit that really gets to me in this song, and I, th- I think it's yeah, is it my favourite on the album? I don't know. We'll maybe get to that at the end. But the the thing that I really love is is that verse. I think it's the second verse talking about how she feels like a fool and she's been laughing at his bad jokes and putting up with his friends in public. But then there's uh, putting up with his friends. And then there's that bit where he says and kissing in public, and it's like this idea that actually. She didn't want to be kissing in public. And I, I can imagine the type of kissing in public that this man has been subjecting this poor woman to. <laughs> you know, really unpleasant, you know, not a quick peck on the lips to show that you love one another, but kind of possession kissing, yeah. right? Look, she belongs to me. And she's just she's just ruined by it, you know? Um, and then there's that bit at the end of that verse where he says, the sun makes you feel worse anyway. And your heart just breaks in a million pieces. Yeah, totally. I mean, can you imagine what people would be saying if Morrissey had written that? But, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a great example. When I was preparing for this, and as I've been listening to the album and reading over the lyrics, you suddenly realise that actually Jarvis probably doesn't get the respect or the recognition that he deserves as a writer. I mean, some, some of these lyrics are just mind-blowingly good. Yeah. Well, yeah, I put up a picture... Um on Twitter when I was preparing for this of um, the lyrics book that he brought yeah. out Mother, Brother, Lover <laughs> <laughs> if you know their back catalogue it's quite obvious why it's called that um, and in his introduction he, he does say um, sort of things along the lines of you know how on each album there's a little note on the yeah. the uh, lyrics sort of liner it's something like NB do not read the lyrics while the music is playing and he, he says a bit in the introduction to the book about how um, sometimes he felt that being the front man, there was a lot of pressure on him to, to write the lyrics. And it felt like almost like homework, you know, when everyone yeah. else sort of, you know, noodling about with their instruments. But then the song isn't a song until the lyrics are there. So he felt a lot of pressure. And a lot of them, I think, especially a different class era, he'd like wrote scribbled down the night before in his sister's kitchen uh, the night before they were in the studio so it just goes to show yeah how talented he is if he's just scribbling out these wonderful like kitchen sink stories by the kitchen sink (laughs) what was really interesting about that picture that you put up Jules I know exactly the one you're talking about was how good the lyrics looked on the page yeah like you know they'd, they'd been laid out in a very specific way, right? There'd been a lot of care and attention clearly going into that book. I, I don't have a copy of that book, actually, but 
that little picture made me really intrigued because it looked like a book of poetry or a book of short stories almost and it looked to me like you could read the lyrics either way um, yeah. and I think that's that's a real talent. Yeah he mentions that about poetry actually I've got I've got the book here I'll, I'll just read you a little bit. Of yeah yeah book. please. Um, he says I've always had an extreme aversion to the way lyrics are often typeset to resemble poetry. Lyrics are not poetry they are the words to a song this obviously presented challenges regarding this collection. A whole book consisting of page after page of text set as above would not be a very pe pleasant reading experience. So, with the help of the publisher, I've attempted to arrive at a form that presents the words in an intelligible manner, designed to work on the page rather than mimic the way they come across in the songs. And I just, I just think that shows like such attention to detail and like care over it. But I don't know if many people would think that way they'd just be like yeah here's the lyrics put them in a book done yeah I think you're right I think you're right and I, I think it says that that perhaps explains why pulp were able to survive so long you know why they were able to go from Arabicus pulp in the yeah. wilderness years and then become the biggest band in the country or at least one of the biggest bands in the country but it's, it's, it's only when you care about something that you're prepared to put up with that level of rejection and failure right um, yeah. so I, th I think you're right I think it speaks to the type of person Jarvis uh, is, was, is, I think. Um, all right, so the third track in now is Acrylic Afternoons. Well, here's here's the thing that I picked up on, and this is not a particularly interesting point, right? But it's just something that piqued my interest, and that was that he talks in the lyrics here about again, it's this woman she's dressed in green, and then he kind of clarifies it that you know it's a green jumper, and there's something in it as well about um, a pink quilted eider down, and a couple of things struck me about that. The first thing was it's one of at least three times on the album when he references items of clothing. So you've got the green jumper, you've got pink gloves, you've got the Jesus sandals in Joyriders. There might even be more examples. And it's also that use of colour again, that he's, he's clearly specifically picking out colours and attaching them to things. That's either because these were the things he saw or because he feels they have they work in terms of the lyrics. But that idea of pulp and clothes and pulp and fashion I think is really important to understanding pulp as a band, right? Because they they had a look as well. I always like a band who look like a band or who look like a gang, particularly if it's a gang that I would like to be a member of. Yeah, and, absolutely. <laughs> you know, you, know you, you get it with Suede, certainly Suede Mark One. They look like the real cool gang at school. Yeah, they and, look like, you know, a gang of people that you, you want to hang out with and you yes. want to dress like them and you, you just want to spend time with them and you know, borrow their clothes and... <laughs> Go charity yeah. shopping together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly it. Right, anyway, that's not a particularly uh, intellectual or intelligent analysis of Acrylic Afternoons. So you said you were going to do more gushing. What is it you love about Acrylic Afternoons? Right, again, it's, it, I like, in my, the little notes I've made, I've written, 
a four-minute kitchen sink drama <laughs> because and it's just so delightfully filthy you mentioned the pink quilted eider down a minute ago yes um, it, it's one of my favorite pulp lyrics <laughs> so he says well he doesn't say he, he whispers i'm not going to try and do it <laughs> <laughs> on a pink quilted eider down i want to pull your knickers down <gasps> how rude oh it's vulgar it's vulgar but it's exciting and it's it's that like um contrast of like a pink quilted eider down that yeah, I, I didn't know what an eider down was. I guess it's like a, you know, I'm picturing like a, a, a quilt that your nan would have. It's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think that's where they are, right? They're clearly in a parent's bedroom or a grandparent's yeah. bedroom. They're not meant to be where they are. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's so saucy. Like I'm blushing. Just <laughs> Wait, you, it's, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that, that they're, they're somewhere where they shouldn't be. There's, there's a real thing of um, Alfred Hitchcock in this song, which I know, again, sounds really pretentious, but Hitchcock had this thing about kind of tight, confined spaces. Uh-huh. And in quite a lot of his films, you will find people in really tight, confined spaces, bathrooms, um, railway carriages, you know, small rooms. Um, and there's a bit earlier on in the song where they talk about lying under the table together with you now. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's a confined space. It's... And in, in fact, that bit when he sings about, you know, being under the table together, I, I had this, it was just today when I was reading over it again, just before you called, actually, I suddenly hit with this proper visualisation of an incident in my mm, late teens, early teens, mid-teens, mid-teens. I was 16 and my dad had sent me off to America. I think people who follow me on Twitter and people who listen to the podcast, no, I was brought up as a Mormon. So the Mormons kind of have their headquarters, if you like, in Utah. And my dad had sent me off with a friend of a friend who was going to Utah with his son. So I went out with them and stayed with some friends that we had there, and blah, blah, blah. And as part of that, I ended up at a party in a house in Idaho, a place called Pocatello, Idaho. And at this party, I was, for the first time in my life, the most desirable male in the room because I had a Scottish accent and all of these American teenage girls were just under my spell and I ended up one of the girls gave me you're going to have no idea about this reference point so it used to be Jill if we can patronise you for a second when you bought a can of pop the ring pull came off completely right so it didn't it didn't kind of fold you know now you pull the ring the ring pull and it kind of tucks that bit in so you can drink and then you push it back so it didn't do that it pulled off completely yeah i know what you mean yeah yeah so what this american girl said to me at this party she gave me the ring pool off of a can of root beer i would imagine and she said that if you got the circular bit to separate from the the tongue part of the ring pool without breaking the, the the hook that attached them that that was a token for a kiss and so i spent mm, about four months delicately removing this ring and sort of gave her it back and the kiss took place inside a wardrobe inside her older sister's bedroom you are joking me <laughs> no that's absolutely true that that definitely happened it was my second ever kiss i've got no idea what her name was we were in this cupboard that had sliding doors <laughs> So we were in this cupboard with her, with her younger sister outside, lying on a bed, which may or may not have had a pink quilted eider down. And even though I was raised as a Mormon, I was having very similar feelings to those expressed in the line after on a pink quilted eider down. Mm-hmm. Let let us let, let us move on, Jill, uh, before I say something that will make my dad very cross. Uh, 
<laughs> what about what about Have You Seen Her Lately, which is the is the next track on the album? Have you seen her lately? but um it is not one of my favorites on there but that's like saying I don't like this kid (laughs) I love them all (laughs) yeah it's uh, this one like it's a slightly different tone because I don't feel like Jarvis is trying to pull the woman that he's singing about in this one he's not trying to pull her knickers down he's just giving her some really sound advice to this poor woman who's wasting her time on this useless bloke well that's that's another recurring theme right all all the way through the album there are these broken hearts and boorish men and it's really interesting to me because i cannot imagine a time in jarvis's life and this this may be me just projecting a little bit but from his persona, from what we know of Jarvis, from the things he's written, from the way he carried himself, from the way he speaks and talks, and from his interests and his passions, I can't imagine him being the type of man that occupies some of these songs. You know, he doesn't strike me as a man who would ever have been boorish. He doesn't strike me as a man who would ever have, you know, gone out of his way to hurt, well, anybody really, but certainly not a woman. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that because he's not that, I mean, I'm not talking like I know him personally, <laughs> but <laughs> because he's not that kind of bloke, except, except in the Misshapes video <laughs> when he plays like the, the bully. I love that video. Um, and I think he, he's quite close to his sister um, and his mum. Um, so he kind of does understand the female perspective and yeah like you say you can't imagine him being horrible I guess and like I'm sure I'm sure you know he's not a saint I'm sure he has his moments but um, yeah I just think it's a have you seen it lately is another perfect example of him writing really really cleverly from like a female perspective yeah yeah, he, he does have that ability, it's, and it's very interesting because that, that is something that can go very, very badly wrong for a male writer um, to try and put himself in the female position and write from that perspective. But yeah, I mean, he seems to do it really well. Now, speaking about perspectives and being in certain positions, before we get to the next track, I'm going to preface it with another story involving me and a wardrobe. In a wardrobe. <laughs> so when I was five years old, we lived in this little town in sort of the middle of Scotland, I guess, heading towards the west. It's a little town called Whitburn. And my house was number 114 Gilchrist Crescent. And behind our house, there was another family who had two daughters, Shona and Wanda, which is a great name, right? Yeah, and Straight out of a pop song. <laughs> well, there you go. Exactly. And Shona was, I'm going to say Shona was maybe eight and Wanda's maybe 10, maybe 11. And they used to sort of babysit me in a very 1970s way, right? They would kind of look after me or play with me and my mum would do whatever it was she was doing. And one day we were playing hide and seek in their house and I had to go and find. I was doing the seeking, so I'm kind of moving around the house and I can't hear anybody. I don't know where their mum and dad were. 
But anyway, and I, I can again, I can see myself kind of climbing the steps to the second floor, to well, the first floor. There's only you know downstairs and upstairs. So get up to the upstairs, and I go into this bedroom, and there is a built-in wardrobes with louvre doors along one side and then there's a bed and i'm looking around i look under the bed this little five-year-old me looks under the bed nothing and as i turn to leave the room something catches my eye and it's a tongue and the tongue is sticking out through the slats on the louvre doors and it's clearly shown our wonder i'm propelled to go over to the tongue but not to sort of say ah i found you i just go over and i can see my little childish hand reaching up with one finger just to poke Shona's tongue <laughs> just to touch the soft pink thing that's hanging through the slats on the louvre doors and then running downstairs and going home I, I am convinced that that explains more about me than anything else <laughs> it's like I, I think that is my first sort of sexual or sexy experience is shown as yeah. tongue sticking out through the louvre doors which brings us i think brilliantly to babies yeah this is for anybody who enjoys hiding in wardrobes another one of them songs if we play it at star shaped you know the dance floor is just going to go mad it's it's a it's a banger right it's a brit pop banger it is <laughs> yeah it's just euphoric with all the yeah 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 yeah's at the end yeah nothing beats it when everyone's singing along you know i, I would really going back to the the book the lyric book mm-hmm. i would really like for you to post a picture of the lyrics to this up on twitter tonight sure I, I, I'm trying to imagine how he's presented this, what kind of form it's taken. But it's just such a great story, isn't it? You know, the, the mum and dad being gone, this boy hiding in the wardrobe, his sister's bringing home boys and he's listening. And it's all just a bit, it's all a bit kinky, but in a very innocent way. Yeah, I like what we were saying before about how suede is, you know, sexual and sexy. And, um but that's more in like a dangerous sort of exciting way yeah but i think pulp jarvis writes in a more realistic down-to-earth way and i think from like interviews i've seen and bits i've read it's very purposeful because he said something along the lines of um he loved like pop music and you know songs about shagging or whatever but it was never realistic and he wanted to kind of portray you know the the embarrassing bits and the the real the realness of it. Yeah, well, that's I mean we've, we've used the phrase kitchen sink so many times, and it's yeah. maybe a, a bit of a dial a cliche, but there is definitely something in there, right? I mean, there is something very very English, very old fashioned. Northern. <laughs> very. Oh, oh, it's definitely northern. I mean, it's it's northern to its core. I mean, nobody in Braintree ever could have made an album like his and hers it's just not possible from somebody from the south to have written an album like this no it's, it's, <laughs> yeah no i mean it's, it's just it's, I, I remember seeing morrissey get an interview by jules holland once and jules holland was saying something and morrissey sort of said and well you know the problem is you're southern and when you're northern you're northern for life uh, what, what do you miss about manchester 
Well, I miss really silly things about Manchester. I miss the kind of things that nobody would understand why they could be missed. Um, I, I miss the, the grey slate of the sky. Yeah. And I miss silly things about Manchester people. But you're southern, you, you wouldn't understand. When you're northern, you're northern forever and uh, you're instilled with a certain um, feel for life. I don't know how northern Morrissey is now that he lives in you know hotels in Rome and whatever, but I think there is something in that. There is definitely something about that kind of north of england thing I'm, I'm not including scottish people in here so it's not me kind of having a go at you know soft southerners drinking shandy i think there is a definite north of england thing here um in the aesthetic in the themes in the way that he writes in the way that things sound the kind of eccentricity of it all yeah um obviously uh, we have to reiterate things like that in a place like this it's very easy to lose yourself in a situation like this don't you think so many people are in it so just to put you just to get your bearings right, we're pulled. You're in Glastonbury, we're about to play some songs for you. And the first song is called She's a She's a lady, that's right. One, two, three, four. Are you trying to put me on? I turned around and it was gone. Did I leave it in your Again, love this one. Um, one of my favourites off the album. Um, just the lyrics are just dripping in despair. I've made a note of a, a couple of them here. I don't know why you pretend that it causes you pain when you know very well you're going to do it again. Yeah. Oh, some it's like oh, feel seen. <laughs> and the other one I like as well. Went out drinking every night just so I could feel all right. Stayed in bed all day to feel okay. I mean, that's I mean that's like, painful, yeah. isn't it? It's like a punch <laughs> to the gut. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, the one the one I took a note of Jill was that yeah she she lived at her father's place, played his records though they jumped, and then there's this line here that it just it, it just makes me feel really uncomfortable. Wore her body back to front. Mm. I, just, I can't imagine what kind of pain this woman in the song is in, that her body feels like you know she's wearing it back to front. Like, her whole life has just been turned upside down. Yeah, it's really despairing and a bit, yeah. It's one of the uh, nastier songs. It's a bit more suede this one. <laughs> it is a bit more suede yeah. And there's, there's another really nice line, I guess I kind of missed you. Like, yeah. you know, how dismissive is that? Uh, you know, you know did, did you miss me? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I guess. I kind of, yeah, I kind of missed you. Oh God, heartbreaking! <laughs> it's horrible. Imagine, imagine somebody be, being so cruel and cold and dismissive of you. You know, he's gone away for a weekend, this geezer, and he's come back, and here she is, you know, with her body on back to front. And then, oh, and then there's that great bit as well. And so we said, um, I tried hard to make it work. Kissed her where she said at heart, but I was always underneath. It doesn't seem like anybody's on top in this song. It seems like everybody in it is being hurt or damaged in some way. But what a tune, though. Those, like, synthy... I'm not very good at, like, identifying musical terms, but the, the like, I think it's the synthy kind of yeah. background to it. It's just, yeah, it's sleazy, but in the best way. Well, there's a thing about the synthesizer on the Pulp Wiki page, actually, for his and hers, 
Jarvis says, I don't know which song he's talking about, but he says something about using a synth. He says, for the first time ever in our long, torturous history, we had enough time and money to do a record as we wanted to do it. It was really good because having waited so long for that kind of opportunity, we weren't going to mess it up. The only real trauma was that we thought we'd summoned up the devil on the synthesizer that we were using. We had one of those old late 60s synthesizers that you can only get a sound on by plugging loads of leads in, like a telephone exchange or something. I was just messing around with it one day and I got this strange sound that just played itself without touching the keyboard. It started off as a bit of a joke, but then even Ed Buller and the engineer believed it was evil. And we all agreed that we couldn't put it on the record because it would doom it to failure. It's put me off using the synthesizers a bit. I think we might go acoustic from now on. <laughs> <laughs> it clearly didn't put them off on this. No, and <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I forgot um, Ed Buller produced this one, actually. He had a good year in 94, didn't he? <laughs> with um, Dogman Star as well. That, that, well, that's, I'd forgotten about that, actually. Yeah, I mean, that is interesting, isn't it? Two very dark albums, and yet two very different sounding albums. You know, one a very kind of grand gothic opera, and the other one this kind of, as you say, sort of synth-laden, poppy... Yeah, pop record, really, isn't it? His and hers. Yeah. Right, so the next song is... Happy Endings, I think I'm right, aren't I? Yeah, we're on Happy Endings. Oh, yeah, imagine you're a And pretty soon we're coming to the part Where you realise that you should endings yes yeah it's what have i written here about that um oh yeah the kind of doomed romance of it all there's a bit here we kiss to violins well some sad people might believe in that i guess that's lovely the idea of kissing to violins who doesn't want that you know and i guess there's something there about the first flush of love right when you you know you first meet somebody and you fall in love and you kiss them for the first time you know i can hear Lins and orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But then, as ever with, with Pulp, it doesn't last for long because then he says, we know all about the mess, the aftermath of our affair is lying all around and I can't clear it away. Oh, so pulpy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so pulpy, yeah. <laughs> but so true as well, right? I mean, how many times have you been involved in a relationship where that's been the, the case? That everything starts off with a kind of giddy rush of lust and blind optimism and hope and love. And then at some point you wake up and you look around and you go, what's this lying all around me? Oh, oh, yeah. It's the end of a relationship. Yeah, again, heartbreaking. Um, I do like this song, but it is maybe a candidate. um, Maybe we'll chat later. Um, There was a few other amazing songs that Pulp had come up with around this time that I would maybe swap out for Happy Endings because uh, although it's a great song, it is... very thematically similar to a few of the others and I mean obviously most of Pulp songs are either about sex or drugs or (laughs) joyriding Um, but yeah it's not that I ever skip one but if I did I would probably skip Happy Endings all right, well, let's let's just do that now, Joe, because otherwise there's a, a very real danger that we'll forget. I, I, it's an interesting discussion. Right? I did it with Nick Amy's the other day when we were talking about um, Modern Life is Rubbish. Would there be things you would drop? And I would have dropped Sunday Sunday because I don't like Sunday Sunday. Nick feels that it kind of works as a part of the whole. 
but I yeah. would have put something else in in place of Sunday Sunday. I think Sunday Sunday is a nice little B side, but it's just not for me. All right, so if you if you're going to swap something out from from that era of pulp, from the kind of his and hers era, what would you have put in in place of happy endings? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you pick. I'll let you pick two songs. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, obviously, there is a song called His and Hers. Which yep. is inexplicably not on the album named his name. And it's a wonderful song. Um, I actually only heard it for the first time a few years ago when they released the deluxe editions. Yeah. It's um, all of the sort of the Britpop years. Um, so his and hers, different class. This is Hardcore and We Love Life. And the bonus track had all these, a few demos and then these songs, which were actually released not long after His and Hers came out on um, an EP called The Sisters EP. Um, So that came out in May 94. Babies was the lead on that. It was a re-release because I think Babies was released a couple of years before. It was, yeah, because I, I put Babies in in my Britpop Top 50 really early in 93 yeah. i think it comes out in 93 as a single on its own yeah um and then yeah they've uh, obviously re-released it after the success of his and hers i guess um but yeah the sisters ep contains babies um your sister's clothes which is actually the sisters from babies four years on um <laughs> seconds which is a bloody brilliant song if you don't know it look it up honestly it's amazing um it touches on another pulp theme of being sort of trapped in the ordinary mundaneness of everyday life and you know this relationship that you know you've been in and the seconds are turning into hours which are turning into days um it's brilliant um but yeah if i had to swap one out and one in the title track it's got to be <laughs> his and hers i think you're right Joe. i think i think i would probably plump for his and hers. It's, it's interesting i'm looking at the the track listing for that deluxe edition of um, His and Hers Now. And there's a demo on there called The Boss, which is another really good song. I really like The Boss, but I would probably, out of out of the two, I would put Seconds on. I really like Seconds. Yeah. I, I, well, why, why don't we just do that? Why don't we put Seconds and His and Hers Now? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I, I guess I had the theory that maybe they left His and Hers off because it's just too, it's so rude as well. And then, by the time you've got pink glove and acrylic afternoons, <laughs> a song <laughs> that says shove it in sideways and uh, it's just a soap on a rope, put the rope round his neck, pull it tight to the wreck, is maybe, <laughs> you know, a step too far. But it's, yeah, brilliant, brilliant, uh, lost classic, shall we say. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> There's a great what? performance of that song, actually, on um, a show. It's on YouTube. It was an old show. I think it was on Channel 4 called Butt Naked. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Look it up. It's so funny. Um, the 
you know the bit in the song where he's saying like what are you frightened of and he's frightened of belgian chocolates and james dean posters <laughs> and um, he asks the audience what they're frightened of and it's really funny what makes you frightened early evening television i know what you're saying How about you? What makes you frightened? Well, speaking of classics, of course, we now come to... uh, Do you remember the first time? Yeah, yeah. You know, my abiding memory of this is the film. Yes, the uh, the little doc they did. Yeah, which again you can find on on YouTube if you've not seen it. It's got people like Terry Hall and Joe Brand. I want to say Bob Mortimer's on there. Yeah, Vic and Bob are both in it. Yeah, and um, John Peel's in it. Justine Frischman. Yeah, that's right, Justine Frischman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten all about her being on it as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, I mean, obviously it's not difficult to work out what it's about. It's about people losing their virginity. And do you remember the first time and people sharing these stories? Jo Brands is a really good one because she's so honest about things. I got pissed, chatted to this bloke that I have to say I'd never met before. He was, he was a bit of a strange person, but quite an interesting guy. Um went into the bathroom at this party and locked the door and went for it. But it, it always reminds me of that Judy Bloom book, Forever. Have you ever read Forever? No, I've not, no. I only oh. read Point Horror books, obviously. <laughs> That's right, I forgot, because of your contract with Becky. That's right, you're not allowed to read any other books. Um, well, so, for people who I don't know... special to read Jarvis's one this week only. Oh, she, she gave you permission for that. Oh, that's good. Uh, well, can I just say on behalf of the mild-mannered army, thank you, Becky. Uh, we're very grateful that you allowed Jill out of her basement of uh, point horror uh, so that she could read the Jarvis book. Um, well, Ju- Judy Bloom, do you know who Judy Bloom is? I don't know if people know. So Judy Bloom is this American author, and she wrote a huge number of books uh, in the 80s in particular, so late 70s and early 80s. And they were really, or usually about, 
preteen and teenage girls and the kind of problems they would experience, maybe with bullying and boyfriends and home life things. There's things like, are you there, God, it's me, Margaret. There's a book called Blubber, um, which doesn't take a genius to work out what that's about. And they were really great books. Now, I remember reading them all, but there's a one that she wrote for a slightly older audience. So those books were kind of for people around about the age of 12, 13. And then she wrote this book called Forever, which is for a slightly older audience. And there's a girl in that whose name now escapes me she has this boyfriend and they decide that they're going to have sex for the first time and um, he introduces her to his and father forgive me uh, penis uh, by telling her that he his penis is called Ralph and I can remember getting that book out of the school library and just dying <laughs> all sorts of different deaths you know like I felt my innocence fading away and then I felt the death of deep shame that my penis didn't have a name and then I wondered <laughs> if everybody else's penis had a name and it's just and then the the description of them actually of them actually having sex and her losing her virginity is just really it's very honest and very tender and very sad in lots of ways um, and so that's what I think of when I when I think about do you remember the first time I think about the film and people sharing those experiences and then I think about that Judy Bloom um, story because of course um, as a very good boy I have not had sex ever. No. <laughs> Never. <laughs> no. No. Well, you've you've seen me in real life, Jill, so you know that's not that far out of the realms of possibility. Oh, don't be silly. <laughs> right. So what 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 about do you remember the first time as a song then? Um. Well. My abiding memory of Do You Remember the First Time is um, when I finally got to see Pulp, um, when they did, I think, they did a couple of warm-ups before, but the first big show they did when they came back at Hyde Park, mm. um, and I'd been there all day, you know, so excited, waiting for Pulp to come on, distracted slightly by Grace Jones, who was supporting, and she did this <laughs> amazing, she, she sang a whole song whilst hula hooping, did not break the hoop once. <laughs> she was, I'm not sure how old she is now, but I know she's definitely in her 60s and she was then, and I was just in awe. So she took she took me away from my sort of, you know, nervous sort of awaiting for pull. And finally they came on and um, they came onto the stage and um, they had a big sort of, I want to say like a gauze or a curtain um, at the front of the stage. And they projected like lasers, so these messages in lasers across this screen, uh-huh. sort of building up the the excitement, uh, doing a countdown, and then they came on and the the screen stayed up until the chorus kicks in where it dropped, and you finally see the band, and I just burst into tears. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy. So whenever I hear that song now, it's just like takes me back to that absolute euphoria yeah what's what's really interesting for me about the do you remember the first time is again it's that ability jarvis has to see right to the truth of things right and he's he says in that first verse you say you've never been sure though it makes good sense for you to be together and you know what that's about you know that they've got a mortgage or they've got a kid or they've just been yeah. together for a while, so who can really be bothered with breaking up? You know, you know, it kind of makes good sense for you to be together. That's not a reason to stay with somebody because it makes sense. That's a ridiculous reason to stay in a relationship. And then he follows that up with, still, you bought a toy that can reach the places he never goes. And oh no, it's getting late. He's so straight. She, This woman is clearly so unfulfilled. Yeah, so cutting as well. And he's like, oh, he's so straight. 
<laughs> you can just imagine she's clearly said to him one night, you know, do you want, should, should we maybe role play? Or would you like me to dress up? Or would you maybe dress up? Or shall we watch it's a like blue nothing. movie? The footies on, go away. <laughs> That's right, exactly. He's like, oh, well, you know, uh, yeah, oh, no, no, not not really. And I, I, t- actually, t- when I was reading that today, it took me back to that earlier line about you know always being underneath. And this poor woman, you know, she's just desperate for something to bring a little bit of excitement into her life. And so she's reduced to, you know, popping around to, you know, some shop in Soho. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's so painful and yet really funny. Right. Now we get to something that actually probably would be kept round the back in the very shop where she bought her toy because it's, it's so rude and perverted and just awful. And that is Pink Glove. If you want him to come round and see you tonight But he doesn't care what it looks like Just as long as it's pink and it's time It's what he likes Yes, another absolute favourite <laughs> oh Jill no I, I do feel like this song is underrated <laughs> but um yeah it's again filthy <laughs> but again it's like Jarvis is kind of positioning himself in this song and it comes up again on different class but he's kind of like the savior of bored housewives yes <laughs> and like again he's, he's shagging someone who's possibly married but definitely involved well there's that business about um baby doll 90s oh there we've got clothing again right baby doll 90s oh, okay. uh, wear your pink wear your pink glove why a pink glove what kind of fetish is a pink glove <laughs> i've never quite um delved deeper into that i'm a bit scared to google it <laughs> well w- would would you like my theory on the pink glove yes Right. Okay. So, first of all, I mean, not that my parents do listen to this, but if my mum and dad are listening to this, now is the time to stop. This is not for you. All right. So we'll give Bob and Joyce a second to go away. Lovely. Right. So when I was in fourth year at school, there was a very popular boy called Andrew. I better not give his, his real name. He was a very angular boy. You know, he had quite a big nose, but he was quite a hit with the ladies. It wasn't a big sort of fat nose. It was a very sort of long, thin, uh, Nigel Haver style pointy nose. And he had kind of floppy hair and, you know, he was, yeah, anyway, the girls liked him. I was deeply, not unpopular, but very definitely a a deeply fringe character, you know. And so a party was held at the house of a girl called Carol, who, again, I won't give her second name. And at this party, according to Bawiri High School legend, uh, at this party, Andrew... Uh, found himself in a compromising position with with Carol. And we go back again to that earlier lyric about, you know, wanting to pull her knickers down on the pink eider down. So he has pulled her knickers down, but there's no pink eider down because they're in the kitchen. And before, before Andrew decides to explore Carol's body any more deeply... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a prude. Imaginations. Yes, you've all got imaginations. Before Andrew decides to go any further and explore any more deeply, he decides that he needs some kind of 
um, digit prophylactic. So he can't do this bareback. So he reaches up and takes down a pink marigold glove oh, and then uses, uses that in order to conduct the next part of their um, <laughs> journey. So when I first heard this song, so I'd have been, what, 20, 21 when this came out? that I was transported back to a party that I wasn't even at. And I'm fairly sure this is an apocryphal story. I'm fairly sure none of this happened. But genuinely, that was what went round the playground on the Monday morning after Carol had had her empty. Um, and yeah, so that's what I think when I hear about a pink glove. Great. You are welcome. That's what I'm going to think from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Andrew and Carol. Oh, yeah. but that, that's a really pulpy story as well, right? It is, yeah. Kitchen sink again. <laughs> well, yeah, well, literally the kitchen sink. Yeah, if the story is to be believed. Right, okay, let's move on from Pink Glove. I can't do it anymore. I'm actually blushing. I feel so bad that I told you that story. Yeah, just okay, give so... a shout out to um, Steve Mackey's bass line on that song as well. Oh, it's very steady. What about... Someone Like the Moon. That's the kind of penultimate track on the album. dreamy isn't it yeah but again for me it's maybe another possible swap well Um, so there we go then shall we put what about if we put his and hers in here and we put seconds in a little bit earlier are we getting closer are we getting closer (laughs) to the perfect version i think so yeah honorable mention to razzmatazz as well which came out around the same time as babies was originally released yes um i think that features on the intro compilation um, but didn't yeah. make it onto any album. Um, I think it was on the American version of His and Hers. Um, someone said on Twitter the other day. But um, yeah, great song. Well, it's funny you mentioned Razzmatazz, Joe, because I was thinking about that again just the other day. I, on that list of 50 Britpop songs that I felt kind of told the story, I'd restricted myself to two songs from any one band. And so I'd gone in very early with babies from 92 and then i'd kind of left it to common people and i didn't really want to include common people much as i love it but i felt like you couldn't really tell the story without it out of all the big hit singles that one deserves its place more than all right wake up boo park life well it's funny right (laughs) i I mean i've spoken to nick a fair few times now and I speak to all sorts of other people online nobody's got a good word to say about that song it's just so interesting yeah, I was listening to uh, you and Nick talking about it um, on one of the other episodes the other day and uh, Nick's hatred for that song <laughs> really <laughs> filled my heart <laughs> when he went in <laughs> well you know I think Nick and I try really hard to be positive about almost everything and we kind of you know rein it in a little bit sometimes um but yeah there's there's no hiding place in that so it's just horrible anyway so i i 
put common people in as the kind of big Britpop anthem, but I think I should just have went for a one-two. I think I should have gone Babies and Razzmatazz. I think Razzmatazz is a great, great record and a, a bona fide forgotten classic. And it's got the uh, brother and mother um, exactly. <laughs> lyric couplet in it. <laughs> and um, that great, great line that always sticks with me whenever I'm in uh, the supermarket and I happen to pass the uh, chocolate aisle. <laughs> um, <laughs> are you going to go out or are you staying at home eating boxes of milk tray? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you my answer to that. Uh, it's staying in and eating boxes of milk tray. Um, yeah. <laughs> Right, so we, we, we come to the end of the album then, we're at the last track, and that's David's Last Summer. We made our way slowly down the path that led to the street, slightly slightly, drunk on the sun I suppose. It was a real summer's day, the air humming with heat, whilst the trees beckoned us into their cool green shade. When we reached the stream, I put a bottle of cider into the water to chill. Both of us knowing that we'd drink it long before it had a chance. I think this one, it's like a spoken word kind of vibe. That is exactly what I've got written down. It's the first thing that I've got written down in my notes. Is this kind of spoken word piece as opposed to a song, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I've got, he does make his, um, so for the this um, lyrics book that I've got here, um, the way it's set out is um, it's not every single lyric, so he's chosen, I don't know if they're his favourites or the ones he's most proud of or what have you, and then at the back there's um, like notes for a few of them. So for David's last summer it says, the title comes from a book called Pennington's Last Summer by K.M. Payton, which I spotted in my school library. I never read it. (laughs) (laughs) That that is that is the ultimate Jarvis line, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. um, I think I remember reading something about why he did it in a spoken word way. um, That he just he tried singing it and it just it didn't work. So he was like, well, I'll just speak it. It is interesting. I have quite a limited musical palette in lots of ways. David's Last Summer is this kind of thing that I think of when I think of Scott Walker. And I don't know a huge amount about Scott Walker, but there is something about this song that has that kind of feel of, you know, somebody who is transcending, going beyond the normal boundaries of just a pop song, right? It's longer, it's deeper. It's darker. It's more carefully written. You know, there's 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 all sorts of things going on. It all sorts of repetition. Yeah, it's it, it's very similar in some ways, not musically, but it's certainly in the. I mean, it's almost a stream of consciousness in some places. This song, and it, it reminds me of Late Night Maudlin Street on Morrissey's Viva Hate album. You know, this where it's just a it's just a story, and it's just unraveling. You know, and you, I, I'm not so sure that Jarvis really knows where it's going either. 
and it just mm -hmm. kind of spills and spews out across the grooves of the record. I, I really like this. I love that business about we, we swam in the moonlight for what seemed like hours until we couldn't swim anymore. And as we came out of the water, we sensed a certain moment in the air. Yeah, it's just lovely, isn't it? It's really, like, really evocative. And um, yeah, I think you're right about the Scott Walker thing, because obviously uh, Jarvis was enormously influenced by Scott Walker, not to mention he produced Wheel of Life, which must have been yeah. surreal to have one of your heroes come and produce your album. Yeah, and um, more cloven as well. He mentions a, a pale bikini in this one. That's right. That's right, yeah, clothes again. I mean, you, it's, it's funny, right? I did a course a few years ago on the cinema of Alfred Hitchcock, which is why I kind of mentioned them earlier. And it was a sort of 10-week course, three or four hours a week, and you kind of unpacked all the kind of themes and, you know, imagery and all the rest of it. I think you could do exactly the same thing for Jarvis and Pulp as a band. You know, you could kind of go through the kind of recurring imagery, the themes, you know, the, 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 the use of language. It's There is so much there in, in what's going on in, in the world of pulp. I mean, somebody must have done a doctorate on pulp, right? There must be somebody who's a, a doctor of pop music and they've used pulp for their, their PhD dissertation, surely. I would hope so, wouldn't you? Well, if not, we'll have to just write the course. I mean, we'll, we'll be doing people on it as well, but... <laughs> I th I think you should just do it, Jill, because I would really like to call you Dr. Jill. <laughs> Dr. That might even Jill. be better than lip gloss, Jill. Dr. <laughs> Jill playing Britpop bangers all night long. <laughs> she's she's a doctor of funk. That's right. Uh, right. Well, look, we we come we've come at the end of. Um, his and hers and uh, we've, we've gone off on all sorts of weird and wonderful tangents I, I've got a couple of questions about you though Jill if you're prepared to do that uh, yeah <laughs> Nothing well, you, don't, you don't have to answer them you don't have to answer them um, no, yeah, go for it. yeah I'm, I'm really interested in in the in your podcast in the don't point that horror at me podcast which everybody should go and listen to um probably before they listen to this and then they can come back and listen to this. This is much more amateurish compared to what no. Jill and Becky are doing. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the, the point horror thing. Was that genuinely a part of your childhood? Is there a real love for it there? And what, what is it about those books that you that, that drove you to kind of podcast about it? Um, oh, yeah, it's a genuine letter. No, I'm not as passionate about them as I am Britpop, <laughs> but I am, um, as I'm rereading them. If you don't know what Point Horror is, um, because oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure everyone listening is like, what? There were these series of books that were brought out in the 90s. Um, they were all American, um, and they were sort of horror stories, but aimed at, like, teenage like early teenagers so rarely anyone actually dies in them <laughs> <laughs> but they're just so, they're, they're quite pulpy not in the sense of pulp the band but as in like pulp like yeah, pulp fiction, yeah. these little books they're like 150 200 pages um of just these stupid american girls making terrible decisions <laughs> like taking a shortcut through the forest at night when someone's stalking them and <laughs> stuff like that so yeah it was um it was my my good good pal becky's idea to actually start a podcast about them um she just i got a message from her one day out of the blue going babe do you remember point horror books and i was like 
yes I do because <laughs> it was like the thing when I was at school that's what everyone read and then I think it was similar to Goosebumps which maybe more people mm. heard of so yeah it was it was all Becky's idea and then uh, we just we were like we don't know how to do a podcast but let's give it a go <laughs> and yeah we just have a laugh dissecting these silly old books and that were out in the 90s and there's lots of like 90s references like baby g watches and like the fashions and i do a little section looking at what was in the charts around the time that the book was released so yeah that's right well i mean it really is a, a, a good listen you know it's it's really funny and it is very evocative actually of the era um i mean i th- I, I was oh, well, i wasn't really too old for those things i did read a, I'm sure a couple of point horrors, but yeah, it, people should definitely uh, check it out. Don't point that horror at me. Available on all good uh, podcasty, hosty type places. And and what about the <laughs> other thing that we we talked about at the beginning, which of course is your your life with the Star Shaped uh, gang. Um, how how did that come about? How did you find yourself DJing at Star Shaped? Um, well, as mentioned, my uh, previous little venture uh, of Lip Gloss Club, I did that for about a year. Um, in London, just in a, a little pub venues, really. Occasionally, I'd have live bands, like friends of mine that were in bands or people that were recommended to me. And it wasn't a strictly all Britpop club. It was just good music, really. So yeah. it would be 60s stuff, um, more modern indie, Franz Ferdinand, that kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, Rob, Rob Starshaped used to... Uh, visit occasionally and then when they started star shaped he asked me if i wanted to guest dj and it just sort of went from there they couldn't get rid of me <laughs> <laughs> and of course we've got the star shaped festival looming later on in the year yes so very exciting well the the last two years have been phenomenal right like genuinely big events um and this year another great lineup with some incredible bands again which of the bands are you most excited to see um well i do obviously have a soft spot for space as mentioned before um so it's always good to see those guys and um, they they do genuinely put on a brilliant show so even if you only know them for female of the species um and you're you are coming to the festival make sure you see them because They'll, they'll blow your mind. I, I can back that up, Joe, because they, they played the first year of Starship that I attended, which was 2017. Yes. And I genuinely could not believe what I was watching. Like, I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't b- believe what I was hearing. Because I think m- my memory was of these kind of very quirky, psychedelic, you know, kind of pop band and pop songs (laughs) and then you see them live and it's this wall of noise and visuals and it blew me away it was one of the highlights for me so I I would give a big green tick to that as well definitely don't miss uh, space they they are fantastic live all right who else are you keen to see very excited for the return of Geneva yeah um, we we stood next to each other didn't we in Glasgow um, when Andrew Montgomery um very kindly played for us last year um he was phenomenal and a very lovely man so yeah super excited that they're back and can't wait to see see how they go down well i saw them in one of those sort of warm-uppy shows they did. i think they did one in london a, a couple of months back and they did one here in edinburgh a tiny little venue at the art school in edinburgh called the we red bar and 
it was incredible. I think they'd had one practice before they got back together um, wow. for that, that particular gig. And it was it was very similar to seeing Sleeper back in 2017. It was like no time had passed. Yeah. It, it all sounded, and that was the interesting thing, it also, even, even when Andrew was playing last year, nothing sounded old fashioned, right? Nothing sounds retro. I, I find that the most interesting thing about Starshape is that you go along and these are bands from, you know, a while ago and some of them are still gigging some of them are still recording some of them not some of them have come back especially for Starshape uh, because of the huge amount of work that, that you and the rest of the guys do to make those things happen but none of it sounds dated and and Geneva sounded like the most important band in the world that night it was it was great yeah well it promises to be a, a fantastic occasion um, and people should definitely think about buying tickets and um, no doubt you'll be there in some incredible outfit uh, playing bangers yeah. in between the bands. <laughs> yeah, me and Hannah are um, in discussion about the outfits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> oh, huge amounts, huge amounts. You'll be there looking great, obviously. So you know, I, I will, on. I will be there. I will be there. There's no doubt about that. You couldn't, you couldn't keep me away. Not well. You could, you could get a restraining order, but other than that, I'll be there. Well, listen, Jill. Thank you so much for taking time out of your your, your schedule and your evening, especially when um, I think you've got a soft spot for a particular team in red from Liverpool. Is that right? Yes, I have not actually um, checked the. Mm, you're not going to be happy. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, it's. Anyway, I'm, I'm only a fan when we're winning things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's currently two nil for Manchester City, um, which is a bit of a, a drag actually. Right, anyway, look, genuinely, thank you so much for giving up some time. That's really kind of you, and uh, people should absolutely check out. Don't point that horror at me, and they should also think about uh, giving you a follow at Lipgloss Jill on the Twitter and. Get your tickets for Star Shaped as well. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Jill. Excellent. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>